Hello, and welcome to the Burning Coal Theater's podcast series, Into the Fire, with Jerome Davis. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. Welcome to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. We're beginning our 2017-2018 podcast season with uh, the newest um, member of the Burning Coal uh, staff, Christina Bajon, is joining us today. Christina, welcome. Thank you so much. We're glad to have you. Uh, you are working with us on social media, so you are the Burning Cold Social Media Coordinator, and we're uh, delighted to have somebody doing that officially for us. We've been uh, sort of doing it on our, on our own and uh, in a not very uh, concerted manner in the past, and so we uh, very much appreciate having somebody with the, that skill set who can focus on that for us. Um, and I think it's a very important um, tool that, uh, that people are beginning to understand um, the value of, uh, particularly in the arts where advertising dollars are scarce, but the need to communicate to the community is, uh, is vast. Um, <clears throat> Christina, uh, you uh, grew up in this area, right? You grew up in uh, Durham, is that correct? Yes. And where did you go to school? I went to Immaculata Catholic School, and then after that, I went to Durham Academy. Aha! Uh-huh. And who who was the drama teacher there at Durham Academy? Did you work in drama at that time? Um, the Sing Dawsons. So there uh-huh. was Senior Sig Dawson and his son. Aha! Uh-huh. Very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we know some people over at Durham Academy, um, and then you have a very interesting uh, educational trajectory after that. Tell us about what you did for undergrad and grad school. I went to Northwestern in the Chicago area to study theater, and once I got there, I also discovered that I loved philosophy, so I got honors in philosophy. And from there, I won a scholarship. I won the Rhodes Scholarship to study at Oxford in the UK. So I was in England for four years, and from there, I won a Fulbright Scholarship to study at the University of Bucharest. So I moved to Romania, where I was for two years. So that's my educational trajectory. That's great. And do you have uh, like a family in Romania or what what, uh, sent you there? Yes, so my father is Romanian, I'm half Romanian, and I take my Romanian identity very seriously. Uh-huh. Yeah, well that's, uh, that's been an interesting part of the, the world uh, in the last uh, 30 years or so uh, with the demise of the Soviet Union and the sort of reconfiguring of Um, uh, the political structures in that part of the world. Was that part of your interest in that or? Definitely. So my father defected in 1969 and he thought he could never go back to Romania. And so that's when I was growing up in the 80s, that's what we thought that we would never meet our Romanian family or see Romania. And then with the 1989 revolution, all that changed. So he could go back. He took his American family with him. We started going every year, reconnecting with family and friends. And so Mm -hmm. if it weren't for the revolution, I would have no relationship with Romania. Whatsoever, yeah. And is there an active theater community in Romania? Oh, it's so active and it's so exciting. When I was living there, I got involved in the Bucharest theater scene. Mm -hmm. But there are festivals all over the country. Um, I mean, there's a theater festival in Bucharest, of course, every year. But the one I'm thinking about is in Sibiu, which is an international theater festival, much like Edinburgh. Mm, Okay. And uh, is it... a two-leveled in the way that Edinburgh has the main festival and then the Fringe as exactly. well. Exactly. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, when does that take place? 
That's every July. Every July, interesting. So people probably perform there and then go to Edinburgh uh, afterward uh, in August. Uh, so um, what is the government structure like in Romania now, now that the, the communist uh, shackles have been removed from, from the country? What, how is it set up? Do you, do you have a sense of that? Yes, so there's a prime minister and a president. Um, and at the moment, there have, been pro there have been protests in Romania for the past year to two years um, to, for, against corruption in the higher echelons of government, uh, mainly with the party, the PSD, P P S D, the Socialist Party, which are the inheritors of the communist legacy. So they were all communists and then after the revolution, they became socialists, quote unquote. <laughs> and so there's been a lot of distrust and um, and anger towards the government lately. And there were huge protests last winter, and there were protests this summer too. Romania was uh, Ceausescu, is that correct? Yes. Uh, right. So that's one of the one of the few instances during that. Uh, period in the late 80s and early 90s when, when violence played a role in, in the uh, overthrow of the communist system. Uh, the Ceausescu's notoriously were, were executed after a very brief trial. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, but you're saying that some of the same people who were involved in, in, the, in the Ceausescu government are still in power there? Is that, yes, is that the unfortunately. Yeah. And that's true about the violent revolution in <clears throat> Romania. So it was velvet across Central Eastern Europe and, and, and then exceptionally violent in Romania. Most, uh, most notably in Czechoslovakia, where uh, Vaclav Havel uh, led the velvet revolution yeah. uh, right uh, uh, out of the lobby of his theater, <laughs> which is <laughs> <Yes>. a <laughs> almost inconceivable turn of events here in the United States. But, uh, but it's nice that it can happen somewhere, I suppose. Um, yeah. So, um, Christina... Um, Philosophy uh, and uh, theater uh, seem like a, an obvious pairing. Uh, have you found that to be the case? I mean, do those two things, uh, uh, f do you find them uh, merging in your work uh, as a theater artist uh, at all, or are they two separate tracks in your mind? I think that they go together very nicely. Um, and for a number of reasons, but I'll be honest, when I was at Northwestern, I was the only double major in my year between theater and philosophy, <laughs> so uh -huh. I guess I was unique. Um, but in philosophy, you can debate aesthetics and the meaning of beauty and and existence and life, et cetera, et cetera, big philosophical concepts, and in the theater you do as well, so I think that they go together hand in hand. Right. The theater in some ways is almost like a a trial run for philosophies that might uh, uh, make their way into the mainstream at some point. Uh, so, um, so tell me about after uh, your work at Oxford and in Romania, you came back to the States and you went to uh, DC at that time? Yes, yeah, so it was in 2009 that I won a fellowship at at the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum to write my dissertation. So just like any grad student, I followed the money and moved to DC and spent, I was there for nine months and I wrote my entire PhD. And then after that, I moved to Vanuatu in the South Pacific for about half a year. 
which I know doesn't fit into any kind of logical trajectory, but that's what happened in my life. And after that, I got my first teaching job at Georgetown. I was the Jan Ratsu postdoctoral teaching fellow for that following year, and that started my university career. Um, I've also taught at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. Mm -hmm. At both institutions, I taught history, which is what my PhD is in. And I... So I was in North Carolina for a little bit, and then I returned to D.C. to take up a job at the Holocaust Museum as a researcher for their encyclopedia of camps and ghettos, which meant that I was researching lesser-known internment sites across Africa, France, and Eastern Europe Mm -hmm. for the museum and writing scholarly articles that are published in the existing encyclopedia, Volume 3. So... While I was in DC during this time, I started my own arts and culture collective with a friend in Bucharest called Bucharest Inside the Beltway. And we produced sold out award-winning shows in local festivals and venues. Every year we had events in both DC and Romania. And did they transfer back and forth, or was it were they separate events? Uh, they were separate. So she was very much running the Romania scene, and I was running the DC scene. Uh-huh. And but when I would go to Romania, we would host poetry readings together. And of course, that's coming from DC, which has an incredible spoken word open mic scene. And so we were trying to bring that to Romania, and that was successful for what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good. Uh, so, um, so what brought you back to North Carolina? It's very simple, family reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's something going on in my family right now where I, being the eldest child, have to be closer to my parents. Right. And um, so far, so good. I'm creating a life in Raleigh. I found Burning Coal Theater, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. one step at a time. We're happy, happy that you that you did. Um, uh, I won't say that uh, we are exactly inundated with Rhodes Scholars uh, <laughs> looking to work at our company, so we're, uh, we're delighted to have, have you here with us. Um, shifting gears just slightly, um, there was a recent uh, story in, in uh, American Theatre magazine about um, uh, the closing of the uh, American Repertory Theaters uh, Institute for for uh, th- training of theater artists, um, and uh, when uh, they're they're not uh, closing it permanently, or at least they're saying they're not, they're uh, actually uh, putting it on a three-year hiatus while they reconsider the um, training methods and methods of uh, funding. Um, uh, the program, but uh, apparently the federal government had issued a letter that declared that the um, uh, that there were a, that there were a number of schools throughout the U.S. that were engaged in predatory practices because of the disparity between the amount of debt that students were left with at the end of their training there and the sort of I guess average. Um, income of graduates within five years of graduating from the program and one of the schools on it they were not all arts uh, training programs by the way but but one of them that was on that list was the was the ART Institute um, which was founded by Robert Brewstein uh, I think in the 80s 
um, following the work that he had done uh, as the founding artistic director of the Yale Repertory Theater. So, so these are, uh, you know, big, big institutions uh, with, with a lot of uh, cloud and a lot of money behind them. And they, uh, in the case of the ART Institute, seem to have in some fundamental way failed. Um, and I wonder if having been involved in, um, you know, uh, theater and, uh, you know, the, the training of theater artists in your life, if you have any thoughts on, on ways in which it could be done better right now than, than it is being done in the United States. So I cannot claim to be an expert on what you just shared. First right. of all, it's just happened. Uh, yes. It's very re recent news. <laughs> um, but I will, I will say that in Romania, I think they have a much better system because it's all public education, so there is no student debt in the first place. And then in the second place, actors are actually paid like it's a legitimate profession. Right. So they're paid a lot more. Right. And where does the, where does the funding come from for that? It's state funding. It's coming from the government. Uh -huh. Which means that uh, taxes are levied and uh, a portion of that is, is uh, spent on government-run uh, uh, or government-funded uh, theaters, museums, uh, dance companies, and that sort of thing. Are there limitations to that model uh, that you've, you've experienced? So maybe I'm just idealistic, but I think the Romanian model is excellent. But of course, you know, it's hard to compare because Romania is still a second world country. So the standard of living there is not as high as in this country. Right. And so many people are trying to leave and go west, whether that be Western Europe or the States or Canada. So I think it's easy for me to sit here and say it's a better system over there, but I don't have to live it, you know? Right, right, that's right. Well, one of the, you know, one of the issues here in the United States over the last 40 years or so has been the proliferation of, of training, uh, um, you know, programs for uh, theater artists, for instance, and other artists as well, uh, and that hasn't been met with a with the gro growth of um, uh, outlets for those artists to work. Uh, in, in, um, and in the cases where where new theaters, for instance, uh, pop up, they're often being done uh, by the seat of their pants. You know, they're they're not well-funded, uh, they're young, young, often young artists who start out with a, with a noble idea but don't have the training or experience or connections in the community to, to achieve the level of funding necessary to pay the artist. And so, so we create this almost self-sustaining model where um, artists are willing to work without uh, pay um, or without substantial pay, um, uh, and so, uh, and then it, as they are willing to do that, then then the the model continues to grow, and more and more of those opportunities, uh, you know, come about, and and so there's no pressure from the in industry itself on on the government to change that. Um, and of course, the other issue is that Romania probably doesn't have a very large military, and so 50-something <laughs> percent of its budget each year does not go to battleships and, and uh, nuclear missiles and stuff like that. So, 
So uh, yeah, they definitely have a different uh, a different situation uh, over there. Um, when you uh, came back to the states and you were working in D.C. and you founded this company with an em emphasis on Romanian culture, um, what was the mission of that company? Did you guys have a mission statement or did you have a sort of a broad idea of what the mission would be? Yes, we had a mission statement and it was to bring the fearlessness of Bucharest to the District of Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with Donald Trump, you've achieved that. No, that, he's very much in the Ceausescu model. No, that's terrible to say. Um, but uh, but re uh, so it had to do with, uh, with a mindset of, of the artist or uh, an, the expert expectations of the audiences in Bucharest? Um, so or theater, both. both. Um, theater in Romania is very daring. I mean, not just Romania, I would say theater in Eastern Europe in general. It's pushing the envelope, it's cutting edge, it's political, um, and they take a lot of risks. And I found that theater in DC, I mean, theater in D.C. has actually improved significantly since I started living there. Now there's Mosaic Theater Company, which um, a friend of mine, Ari Roth, started after he left Theater J. Right. Um, but Mosaic is doing a lot of the cutting-edge, fearless work that I didn't see when I first moved to D.C. Uh -huh. And so that's what I wanted Bucharest Inside the Beltway to be, or just a venue, an avenue. I mean, we produced one show per year, and we were, and I was there for three years. So always uh, the uh, work devised by your company, or w were you w presenting works of uh, Romanian playwrights, or? So we were producing work that I wrote. Uh -huh. um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So a Romanian playwright. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, that's very good. Um, so uh, again, uh, s switching gears uh, to talk just a little bit about your current. Uh, situation here at Burning Coal. Um, can you talk to me just a little bit about your um, uh, idea of the value of social media as a, as a tool for communicating ideas in the arts? Absolutely. Social media is essential. That's the way people communicate nowadays. Right. It's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And they communicate in real time and so people will post stories about the minute details of their day people keep their calendars on facebook about events that they're going to mm -hmm. um so it's a way to keep in touch with friends but it's also just the advertising and marketing power within social media is it cannot be emphasized enough right uh, have you used it uh, in your own work have you been involved with that? Too. Yes, so I was in charge of marketing and social media uh, for Bucharest Inside the Beltway 100%. Mm -hmm. But I, I also hired people to work for me when we were involved in a festival. Uh -huh. And was it was it for uh, for both the Romanian uh, aspect of your organization and your DC organization or did was somebody on the other end in Romania doing it for their they're part of things. So we had we had marketing in Romania as well. Her name is Roxana Nicolescu. So oh. I was running the U.S. marketing. Right. Okay. And um, and has that uh, changed uh, in the time that you've been involved in in the theater arts? Have you seen a, a shift in in uh, the way social media is being used? Uh, and if so, do you think it's a positive uh, shift or 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 no? I think it's definitely a positive shift. I would say it's being used even more. Um, right. And so 
And also the calendar aspect, I've noticed a lot more this past year in mm -hmm. terms of people really maintaining their social calendars on their Facebook. Right. Um, what I'm getting at, I guess, is, um, you know, there, there's a lot of concern, I think, uh, about uh, in, in our society, which is a very, you know, I mean, America is a gigantic piece of real estate, right? And so inevitably there will be people whose, whose life experiences uh, do not in any way reflect the life experiences of other Americans, right? If you grow up in Southern California, you probably don't have a lot of the same experiences unless you're watching television or social media that somebody growing up in North Dakota has, for instance. And so my, uh, I think the concern, uh, as I have been somewhat following, following these trends, is the idea of um, sort of a mob mentality being created uh, through social media so that uh, you know, if thousands of people see something, a couple of dozen of them can express dissatisfaction about it and that will sort of drive the narrative, whereas most of the thousands of people are not in any way uh, affected by or, or concerned with uh, the expressions. And, and so I wonder if that makes any sense. I'm not sure what I'm saying makes sense to you, but if it does, does that worry you at all as a, as a philosopher and a, an artist uh, and somebody who comes from a system where there was a very draconian uh, control of ideas, um, Romania? Definitely. I honestly believe that the good outweighs the bad with social media because you see the flow of ideas like what just happened in Charlottesville right. and the protests going on in Durham. Right. And that information is flowing in real time through social media channels and people have access to what's going on rather than the published news, which is there's a delay, you know, that goes through a third party. So the fact that somebody dislikes something on Facebook or tries to push the narrative in an opposite direction or down like you described, I really believe that's a flow of information and um, it's good to see that people are disliking something. We can question why, mm -hmm. but what's important is that it's out there. Mm -hmm. and, and what happens when, I've been trying to avoid the phrase, but I'll go ahead and use it, what happens when when the flow of information becomes the flow of fake news. Do you know what I mean though? I mean, it, yeah. it is, uh, information is, is valuable as long as it's accurate. I right. think that's a fairly uh, uh, simple way of uh, looking at that. What happens when it's not accurate? See, and that's when we have to rely on the individual to discern what's fake news or not. And so we have to have enough education out there for all age levels about fake news and the risks of it and how to decipher it. Yeah. I, was, uh, I was listening to, a, a coincidentally, a Noam Chomsky uh, interview oh, cool. this morning uh, uh, on the way in, and he was talking about the use of, of media and uh, public relations uh, as a um, mechanism to spread uh, disinformation, you know, to spread to to effectively um, uh, reorganize the thoughts of society, um, and and the, you know, certainly there are countless instances of that uh, throughout our our nation's history. Um, the the 
weapons of mass destruction, debacle uh, that, that occurred in the early part of this century. Um, you know, a lot of the information about the Vietnam War uh, was, uh, uh, was false. The Gulf of Tonkin uh, incident that never actually took place, for instance, uh, our um, uh, taking, taking over uh, the island of Hawaii, uh, you know, the, the whole instance in Iran with Mohammed Mossadegh back in the 50s, all of these things were, were instances where the federal government um, using um, the media uh, simply lied to the American people or withheld uh, pertinent information. I mean, the tobacco industry is, you know, was found to have been guilty of this as well. Um, Volkswagen recently with the, the whole instance of the manipulation of the um, emissions testing uh, information. So, so there's a ton of uh, examples uh, throughout, uh, throughout history, recent history, where, those, uh, where media has been, has been used uh, to um, uh, uh, disseminate false information and, and in effect uh, reconfigure the, the mindset of the American public, and I'm sure in other, other countries as well. And so the worry that I have about social media, just to, to express it on the record here, um, uh, is that, that, the, that the, the looser the um, scrutiny, uh, the more likely that is to happen. And, and so, um, so I'm just, uh, I guess I'm asking you uh, um, as, a, as a person who, who has a significant background in the arts and in, and in philosophy, if that worries you at all, or if um, if you do believe that uh, the free flow of information kind of trumps or outweighs, that part you can edit out. <laughs> sort of uh, uh, balances out, uh, shall we say, the the the, uh, the potential negatives there. Well, I'm going to sound like an idealist again, but I definitely think that the free flow of information outweighs those risks. Um, a, a great example is Ferguson. When Ferguson happened, I found out about it on Twitter long before it was reported in the national news. Right. And then that's how people were social organizing. They were using Twitter and Facebook. And all of the, all of the uh, Black Lives Matter protests in DC were happening via social media. Right. And so I think that that, I mean, maybe that's why I'm an idealist because I was part of that and I, and I felt like I felt like we were plugged in and keyed into something that if we didn't have social media, we would just be in the dark. Right, right. That's right. Uh, it's, there is a democratic uh, uh, element to, to social media that, uh, that the, the, the various powers that be as yet at least ha haven't uh, found a way to, to, to entirely manipulate. So, um, okay. Christina, we, uh, we appreciate you joining us here at, uh, at Burning Coal very much. We're looking forward to working with you over the course of the year and looking forward mostly uh, to having you in the community as another, another uh, uh, great uh, voice um, uh, on the side of those of us who believe that the arts are important in our community. So, so welcome and, uh, and welcome to Burning Coal and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, and be sure to check out our productions Peter Pan and Wendy, running from November 30th to December 17th, 2017, at the Murphy School in Raleigh. For more information, visit our website at burningcoal.org.